Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night, and um, I was asked to do the Parsha early uh, to make it for someone's yard site. Uh, this podcast being sponsored by Mesh Markowitz and family for their uncle. Uh, Rabbi Jerome Markowitz, who I knew very, very well, was actually a very good. He much older than me. We were very good friends. Isn't that interesting? Years ago, we I used to dominate the dinner once at Shulbi the Valkyrie over there, and the Markowitzes were there, and he sat a few seats away from me, and we used to yak all the time, right or wrong. And he was a Yodea Sefer. He was a Talmud Chacham in a big way. He didn't get married, but he had a very uh, productive life. And uh, it was just a lot, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, and he knew all the stuff going on in the Yeshiva world. Oh, my Lord. I don't know. You know he had all the backroom information. <laughs> but uh, he knew Swarm. I said, you know, I, I, I go to Shoals. I don't usually come across people that know Swarm. I don't mean the average Yeshiva guy learns the Gamar, you know. I'm talking about, you know, Swarm. Um, and so I miss him very much. I, that's, the, that's the truth. Yaakov Zerayba, Rav Chaim Shlom and I... I many a times gave him an aliyah, <laughs> many times. So I'm uh, I'm very happy to dedicate this to his memories of somebody I knew very very well, <laughs> and uh, and we do miss him. That's the that's the truth. Uh, very, very, it was never boring around him. <laughs> you know, some people like that. Most people is boring a lot of times. Never boring around him. <laughs> anyway, we're looking at Parshas uh, Truma, and uh, obviously the main problem you come across every year. It's what does it mean? At least as far as I'm concerned. You know, <clears throat> after all, Mishkin isn't really where. And what does it mean? The Shekhin is there. You, know, we, you don't even know what those words mean. We don't have any kind of unanimity on what the term Shekhin means. You know, uh, Shekhin is not God, obviously. I want you to, have to be very clear. Shekhin is created by God. God beyond, beyond. The Shekhin is not beyond, beyond. Being a Shekhin is already something you can get something to handle on. You see, there's Ashura, Sashrina, use those kind of terms. But it says here in the Chumash, Vishachan to Bezalchan. So what does that mean? Um, and we all know that the Mishkan and Beis Mishkan didn't work out so well. They always have that hovering in the in the background. Maybe it's not politically correct to say so, but you know, it didn't work out so great. Um, so I'll tell you what struck me as I'm thinking about this year, because every year I look, you know, try to look at it a little bit differently. Um, or what do you do? Do you just repeat what you did last year? And um, it goes like this. As is known, uh, it's not clear, different shittas, about Truma Tetzava and Valka Or certainly Truma Tetzava. Daino was the Mishkan before or after the Egalazov. If you say the Mishkan was before Egalazov, it has a sublime meaning of its own. If it's after Egalazov, it's kind of... Um, reparative. It's like a tikkun. You understand? You messed up with the ego. There's a midrashim like this. It's a chazal. It's not me. You messed up with the ego. So now, in order to fix that, you should make a mishkan. Uh, which is, I guess, the, it's a very mistabar dick way of looking at it. 
And um, it's a very beautiful matter. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, how can it be? The guy will not be able to believe that you forgave us after the, 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 the sin of the golden calf, which was a big sin. And maybe we're not even totally forgiven, but substantially we're forgiven. The reason I say substantially forgiven is eventually they got second tablets. It was 40 days, 40 days, 40 days. By the time it's all over, you have what's called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippurim means they forgave him. Right? You know, it's like the elephant. I, I forget, but I don't forgive. You know, or I forgive, but I don't forget. That's a better way of putting it. I forgive, but I don't forget. Hashem remembers the of incident, because who wouldn't? But on the other hand, you know, he moved on. And that's symbolized by the giving of the second Ten Commandments. In the aftermath of that, so the famous and beautiful Medrash, I forget where it is exactly, maybe it's in this week's Parsha or not, uh, I don't have any books in front of me, but it goes something along the lines that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, uh, the, the, the fact that you're willing to forgive us, we say, Hashem, Hashem, Yerachem, Hashem, Yerachem, and all that, is unbelievable. And I mean that literally, it is not believable. The Goyim will say the Jews are full of it. They're not, they, they weren't really forgiven, they're just claiming to. Which, by the way, is the position, for example, of the Islamic religion in the Quran. So the only way that you can demonstrate l'chol boyolam that you have forgiven us is by having a base of Migdash of some sort or another, either Mishkan or base of Migdash, and people will be able to discern somehow that the Shekhin is there. So that when the Jews are in the desert, Lamashal, and they wandered around for 40 years, and Goyim may have showed up in the Jewish camp. We don't usually think of it that way, but undoubtedly that happened in a variety of ways. Uh, Goyim showed up in the Jewish camp, and they'll see, you know, the Ner Maravi, whatever the miracles were that were taking place with the Mishkan later based in Megdash, they'll say, wow, I guess Hashem has forgiven you, because I see Nisim Niglim, Nisim Gluim. You know, it's it's uh, it, it, it boggles the imagination. But okay, okay, so it does. But Hashem did forgive him. Notice his connection with Kali Yisrael, Yisim Liyam Segula, is still there. So that's a very nice mahalach. But then what you're saying is, that really, 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 the Mishkan is a B'dyev and an Al-Khachila. Had the Jewish people never made a golden calf, it never would have been necessary to have all that furniture and stuff like that. Wouldn't have been necessary. It's only because they messed up with Eglazov. So, either to demonstrate to the guy or some other reason, uh, it became necessary to do this. Okay? What would that reason be? What's going on? Now, when it comes to these kind of approaches, the problem we always have, me anyway, is there are a lot of different Chazals, and... It's the style of a rabbi to pick one which you find convenient for the purposes of giving a Dvar Torah or a Drush or a podcast or whatever. Can't help it. That's the way it goes. But that doesn't mean that that represents the sum total of all the possibilities. And I'll tell you exactly where I'm going. The story of Egel Azov, remember, we're going with the Mahalach, like most of Chazal, that even the Parshish Truma Tetzava precede Kisiso, in point of actual fact, chrono- chronologically, historically, they come after Kisiso. Okay, got that? So notice you have the story of Eglazov and the aftermath, and then comes Kisiso. And by the way, that's well entrenched in Jewish tradition. I'll tell you what I mean. How do you remember the Hanukkah business? Doesn't it say in Hanukkah? We did this, you know. Uh, what's the reason 
that it's permissible to have parties on Hanukkah. After all, it's only for Halahodah. And the answer, one of the answers is, well, you're also celebrating the day they finished the Mishkan. Remember that? The Maral or somebody like that? It's the day they finished the Mishkan. So that presumes that um, you had the following chronology. There was Shavuos, when the Ten Commandments were pronounced. Then came the 40 days and 40 nights when Moshe got the, was up there in the mountain getting the tablets, which appeared in his hands miraculously. He came down on the 40th day, which is Shavuos of Thomas. He, they, on that day, they made Egozov. Moshe broke the Luchas. Then he had to go up to the mountain the second time for another 40 days, 40 night to pray to Hashem not to kill the Jews. And then he went for a third, which he's successful in. And then he went for a third round, starting on Rosh Chodesh and, and ending 40 days later on Yom Kippur when he got the Luchas Eshni, the second tablet. <clears throat> and that's how that goes. So the parsha of the Egozov wasn't concluded until what you and I call Yom Kippur. So it began on Shabbat Shabbat and it ended right on Yom Kippur, 80 days later. 80 days later. Now, um, at that point, according to the what you and I have heard a lot of times, the Rav Shalom said like this, okay, the day goes up, is gone. But also the Migdash v'shachanti b'socham. Then comes Parshish Trumah Tetzabah. Also the Migdash v'shachanti b'socham. Zohar v'chesed, choshet, cheles, v'argomen, and all the rest of it. And so... The Jewish people undertook to execute that whole business. The Zohar Vakesh and Achoshes and this and that and the other. And um, and they did it, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge. So like they say, did brought it under budget and under schedule. Finished it pretty rapidly. And it was done by, by Hanukkah, which is pretty good. The whole big project of the Mishkan, which you had to create from scratch, you started after um, Yom Kippur. And they finished, you know, that's the middle of Tishrei, and finished in two months, eight weeks. Because Hanukkah is done. They were not directed to erect the Mishkan until Nisan. So it was just, you know, they're ready to go. But it was done. Isn't that the way we usually put the, the chronology together? That's how we fit Parshas Truma into the picture. Now, um, what happened with the Egal's up story? Well, you know and I know. Hashem was real angry. He's going to kill everybody. At that point, Moshe prayed. Vayichal Moshe and so forth. And Moshe, when he started to pray, I mean, I, he didn't get a chance. He had a giant chance because the Avera they did was so big, which it was, which it was, that, you know, how's it possible, you know, to move past it? How's it possible? Now, um, but he, in spite of what I just said, Hashem wowed Moshe by displaying the Yud Gimel, uh, you know, Midos of grace, divine grace. And it blew Moshe away. And Moshe was up on the mountain. And he said, I can't believe you did this. And Moshe says to God, he says, I, I don't hop. In other words, I'm glad, <laughs> but I don't hop. I don't understand how you did it. Show me your face. Let me understand your ways. Right? Hareneus, Kodech, whatever it says over there. Odinus, Drachecha. That's usually, right? Now, Rashi, quoting Chazal, 
always says that Moshe was wondering, um, Tadik Barola, Rosh Tovla, why do the righteous suffer and we can prosper? In other words, I'm trying to understand your midos. I see you let the Jewish people get away with the eagles. Oh, you didn't kill them. And things like that. I mean, I don't, I, I'm trying, on the other hand, I know you're a God of strict justice. You know, so I'm, I'm trying to understand this Rachamim and, and, and Din business. Okay? That's usually the way we understand this. And Hashem, of course, answered, you can see my back and not my face. Okay? You know, Risa Sachore, Upon Lo Yiro. Isn't that how the Pesach goes? So, the usual way we understand this is that Moshe had a very specific theological problem, the biggest, Sadiq Varola Russia of Tolo. And Hashem was saying, You can't see my face, you can see my back. Which usually, you know, if I say it over, it means, you know, with historical retrospective, you can understand how God operates. You know, I don't understand why this happened, but now the years have passed by, now I see what happens. To bring it in a very dumbed-down way, you know, I want to go and catch a train. And then some stupid thing happens, and I miss the train. And I was on my way to do a chesed. Let's say I was on my way to do a mitzvah. And I said, God, I don't understand why you did that. Why'd you, why'd I get a flat tire on the way to the train station? It's so dumb. I was on my way to do a good thing. I don't cop. And then you find out the train crashed. He would have been killed. Oh, now I see why I got the flat tire. So in other words, Pone lo yero, that yero. You know, when you look in retrospect, so that's a dumb, easy, simple way down. But that's usually the way to understand it. But that's a vart, meaning that's a chazal, a medrash. It's a very nice medrash, it's a medrash. <laughs> but let's detach ourselves from that. What's going on? Moshe Benu brought down the luchas, they made the golden calf, and then Hashem, after Moshe's prayer, decided not to kill the Jews. But Moshe is confused. Not worried about Sadiq Varela Tovlo. He just stopped confused. I don't understand what's happening over here. I don't understand how you're relating to Kla Yisrael. I, I just don't get it. I thought I was the greatest Navi, and he was. But I see, I don't get it. Which, of course, is a human being he couldn't get. I, what does Hashem say? So, well, no, he wasn't saying like this. Show me your face, show me your ways, and Tzadigrolorosho. Stamazite. I'm trying to hop how to relate to you. Uh, I saw you as a burning bush. I saw you as a voice. I saw you tell me what to do in, in Mitzrayim and in the desert. I didn't quite understand all the time. We have these Midrashim, of course, where you know Hashem tells Moshe to do one thing, Moshe does something else. I mean, not long before this was Shavuos. You will possibly recall that Moshe hosted Yom Echamedaito. <laughs> you know, that Hashem said, I'm coming on this and this day. Moshe said, no, 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 come on another day. And Hashem listened to him, which, you know, kind of like doesn't make sense. And the whole relationship between Hashem and Moshe is always so fascinating precisely because there's this human element in it. And sometimes Moshe, Hashem says, say these words, and Moshe says different words, if you notice in the Chomish. Like I said, with Kaddish Liko So, Moshe himself is, is, is a confused. If he's simply the Maimonidean automaton, that, you know, Shechina Vadava Vitoch Grono, that Hashem told us Moshe says it over, you wouldn't have all these different stories. 
but you do. And so Moshe is a human being. He is communicating with God in an unprecedented way. They did see everything on Harsinah, but that itself made no sense. I'm repeating what I said. It made no sense. They experience things, but it makes no sense. There's a famous Mechota. Pretty sure it goes like this. They saw what cannot be seen. Because you can't see a coal, right? You can't see colors. Now, I know some people say you can see the musical notes and all that junk. But you know what I'm saying. You can't see the colors. So it says, Something like that. So in other words, it was a transcendental experience. It didn't make sense. Um, and when you think about it, the entire notion of a Maimon it makes no sense. Because Hashem doesn't come down, and he's in a Ruchnius thing, and then had to be condensed into a Gashemius thing, because they heard a voice. A voice is a Gashemius thing. Right? It's very dark, dark, yes, but it's gosh, it's, they heard a voice. They even heard the sound of a chauffeur. Uh, Hashem said words. Words are physical things. Words are physical things when they're expressed. Um, and so you and I cannot comprehend what exactly happened in our scene, and we'd be the first one to admit it. But the people were there trying to make sense out of it. And Moshe is saying to Hashem, I think, Show me what's the pshat over here. How is it that I am experiencing something that shouldn't make any sense? We're transcending boundaries because you're in a ruchniyistic world and you're speaking a gashmiyistic way. I shouldn't even say that because the Rambam would kick me. You know, Hashem's not in a ruchniyistic world. Hashem created the ruchniyistic world. Right? That's my point. That by definition, God should be beyond, beyond. So it makes no sense. It's a paradox that I'm getting nevuah. I feel that Hashem is talking to me. God, it, it, that can't be Hashem because it's anything I can comprehend is created by Him. And so I'm being addressed by something Hashem creates, not by Hashem. So I'm confused. So it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. Show me your face. No, strip away all the veils. You know, and let me see what exactly I'm talking to. Not a voice created by Hashem to communicate to Moshe, but Hashem himself. But I know I can't see it. And so Moshe is confused uh, in a magnificent, glorious way. So this is not just Tzadik Varol Rosh Atolo. It's the whole business of what's the shot that a human being is getting some kind of communication from upstairs. And again, I'm using the word upstairs. I can't even use the word upstairs because, you know, there's nothing spatial about any of this and no word comprehends it. You know, it's like nothingness is communing. But what what's going on? In which case, Moshe was simply at the top of the mountain, having gone through an unbelievable experience with the with the forty forty forty. He's saying, "What what is happening over here?" And of course, Hashem answers that you can't hop, you can't see my face. In other words, the question you're asking is to see what's happening is is beyond a human's capacity. You can experience what I'm sending to you. Right? I'm sending messages and communications you and I call Nevoa, but you can't see my face. You know, you can't see what I actually am because by definition it can't be there. But Hashem says you can see my back. Right? You can see my back. So what does that mean? All I'm thinking tonight is the following. After this conversation where Hashem says you can see my back, 
basically the next thing he says is and make a mishkan. So that is seeing the back of God. Because that's how it goes according to Chazal. That there's a story of Eglazov and then the aftermath in which the Jewish people are finally forgiven after 120 days and all that and Yom Kippur. Um, and you all, but a key part of it is the conversation where Moshe says strip away all this stuff. Show me your face. You know, let me understand your way. Wait, show me your derech. Which is an emotional thing on the part of Moshe. Because obviously, if if I can, if, if the Rambam can figure out you can't talk about that, Moshe definitely could. But he couldn't help it. You understand? A person's a person, even in the state of Nevoah, and it's an ecstasy. He said, I want to see what's going on over here. And Hashem said, well, you can see my back. Let's try you can see my back. You know, you can see not really what I'm happy, but, you know, traces of it, traces of it. And then the next line is, Because that's the chronology. That is how we have it worked out. So I think that this, the, 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 the command to create the Mishkan is a response to Moshe Rabbeinu saying, let me see more of you. Let me cut more of you. Now the question then, of course is, how exactly does the Mishkan show you the God's back? Well, First of all, I don't know. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not that Madriga. But just working it out as best as I can, sitting here with you right now, and I hope this stirs you to thought and something to talk about this week and for Shabbos. Maybe come with something better than me. But uh, it seems to me that when you construct a Mishkan, what you're basically saying is Dashwa a concept, which means you can create something that can, that, that you can you can somehow or other bring Kedusha in a certain spot and you can't see God there, but you can have a, a, a feeling that he's there. That's the idea of Shachan to Bisokam. Because at the end of the day, the Shina is it's a subjective human thing. It's nothing of God there, so to speak. God's everywhere, as you know. It's the shot that Hashem can make things that you, the human, can discern. You have a feeling. I just feel the Ruchnius here. When I'm over there, I don't feel the Ruchnius. When I'm over here, I feel the Ruchnius. Even Shlomo Melch, when he builds a base of Migdash in the Book of Kings, Part 1, and asks, How can God live in a house? Pretty much, if I remember correctly, he ends up making a long speech in which he said, You'll feel it more over here. And therefore, the the, the, the prayers are more of a boom. Because because at the end of the day, it's feelings about, about the human being feeling. And we all know, if you dive in harder... With more kavan and all the rest of it, you feel different. You see? You feel different. And so, we have with the Osuli Migdash, with Shachan the first shawl, so to speak. Meaning, the first geographic place in which the person comes in and feels, Shachan feels something there and therefore can relate to God better, even though he'll never get more to see the face. Moshe can see the face, and nobody gets to see the face. Whatever you're doing, you're seeing the back, right? The face means clear. The back means unclear. But you, but but there's somebody there. If if you were walking, if somebody's walking by me, and I saw their back, and I didn't know him very well that I could recognize him from the back. You know, sometimes you could do that. But if I didn't know you, I didn't know your face. So I'm definitely not going to be able to identify you to the cops. If I saw your face, I could identify you to the cops. I saw the back. Chances are not. But I but I know somebody was there. Right? So like a movie, you know, I was standing in the street and I saw from across the street 
a guy shot another guy. What do he look like? I don't know. The guy, the guy who was doing the shooting, his back was turned to me. So I know the shooting happened. I mean, I saw it happen, but I cannot identify who it is that did it because he's wearing a hood and all these guys are wearing hoods. You see? Something like that. Happens every day in Baltimore. So um, that's the meaning over here of they have the Mishkan, which you can see the back. Now, it's elaborate, and therefore you have Zovaches and Achoshes, and you have uh, uh, architecture, and Yerios, and uh, Mizbeach, and Aaron uh, and the Kaparis, and all nine yards. But at the end, I think it's kind of symbolizing, at least to me this year, this business of not the face, but yes, the back. And I'll tell you where I'm coming from with this. At the end of the day, again, there are Midrashim around this. What's the shot with the whole Mishkan business? With the whole Taram? It's a place where there are two basic things in the Mishkan. There's the Mizbech where you do Karbonus. That's A. And then there's this box that contains the Torah itself. The Ten Commandments. That's B. Those are the two central things in the Mishkan. Now, the altar, the Mizbech, ain't the real action, because Hashem does not need carbonus. Now, I know there's a whole halacha to carbonus. I mean, I get that. And it says reach nichalk and so forth, but Hashem doesn't need the carbonus. The most important part, I th- to me, it's pretty clear that the most important part is the arm uh, with the with the, with the the Torah and the Ten Commandments in it. There's even a medrash or something. Remember, in one of these parshas, maybe by Yaakov, Akuti, wherever it is, where Moshe and, and, and Bitsal are having an argument, you know, do you build this first, do you build that first? And Bitsala says something like, look, the whole point is for the Aaron. Do you remember that, Medrash? It's a Rashi or something, you know. And Moshe was wrong and Bitsala was right. You know, the Iker was the Aaron. So here's the funny part about the Aaron. As you and I know, this central item in the Mishkan, which after all contains the Luchos that Hashem wrote on, I want you to think about that. That itself is a transcendence of zones, like whatever that means. Hashem wrote on them. The first locus Hashem made. The second locus Moshe cut out of the wood. You know, and Hashem wrote it. So uh, there was in that box in the in in the urn, plus eventually the Torah that Moshe wrote. Um, wow. You know the weird to me the weirdest part is you never take out the two tablets, do you? It's not part of the Jewish religion that in the Shal Shagolim they open the box and take it out and show everybody. Uh, in fact, there is a in the end of Chagig whatever that he sometimes used to march the 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 box around, you know, the iron around. But you don't. What I'm trying to say is like this: the most important item in the Mishkan is hidden away. Isn't that strange? It's actually fascinating. You'd think it would be exposed all the time. I mean, Lahavdal, when you got these uh, Gaisha stuff, Catholic things, you know, every once in a while they take out their big image and they march it around and do shtick with it, you know, because they want the public to see it. The Jewish religion isn't like that. We don't have any parade in Judaism where you take out, even in the most solemn occasion, the Ten Commandments and march them around or anything like that. It's always in a box. It's always in an urn. I just think that's interesting. It's always in an urn. What's the symbolism? It's there, but you can't see it. Or as 
God said to Moshe, you can see my back, you can't see my face. The, 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 the tablets, the, the luchos inside the urn is, the, is, is like a concretization, a physical form that it's there and you know it's there. You can see it. I mean, you see the box, sort of, but you can't see the, the lupus themselves. You, you can't see the face. You can see the, the back. And the whole Michigan is there for a panoply all around that. And that's to convey to the Jew, to the worshiper, the basic the same idea, um, that you can go ad khan, and you can't go farther. This is not a pagan religion where you bow down to idols and stuff like this. You're dealing with the real thing over here. But when you deal with the real thing, you realize, first of all, limitations. You can go so far, you can't go farther. Uh, that's like a gigantic episode in the Jewish religion, as we all know. And I think, therefore, means that I'll dwell in that, uh, I'll dwell in the midst of them, but they won't see me. So Moshe just finished saying like this, let me see you, let me see your face. I said, so, well, I'll be there, but you can't see me. Or as he said to Moshe, you can see, you'll see my back, you can't see my face. Uh, I think that's like a powerful yesod. Um, and I think that is probably the explanation for all the different architectural stick in the Mishkan. There's no question in my mind that that's the main story behind the box, the Aron, and the Luchos, and, and all things that are in the Aron. But I'll bet you a smart person can probably find you know, similar symbolisms in some way with the other items in there, with the Mizbech, with the Yerios, you know, Sheish Vargoman and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that I'll leave to you. Uh, that's what I think is going on in Parshish Truma, Tetzalba, and so on and so forth. Once again, I want to thank the uh, the Mesh and the, and the, and the Margaret's family for uh, the sponsorship today. This is, as I said before, this is a labor of love. Uh, Rabbi Jerome Markowitz, I knew very, very well. It's a, it's a, we, we, we all miss him. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think he would, I think he would be davening in my show if he were around now. Uh, of course, he'd be kibitzing with me, but that's fine. You know, he'd be also saying, "What's to do with safer that you saw?" Uh, but anyway, whatever the case is, with that, I wish you all a uh, a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.